Welcome to the Gary Gallagher Law Hour. Attorney Gary Gallagher and his firm have represented thousands of Hawaii workers and families during more than 35 years practice throughout the islands. Whether helping countless workers exposed to asbestos unknowingly in their jobs, filing suit against gas companies for unfair local pricing, or representing the state of Hawaii and winning a settlement against big tobacco, the Gallagher Law Firm helps fight for consumer advocacy and fair play for the people of Hawaii. No kopuno on your behalf. Now, Gary and his team are here to take the mystery out of what they do and answer your legal questions. So here's the host of our show, Mike Buck and Hawaii attorney, Gary Gallagher. Uh, welcome back to The Fray. Today, uh, attorney Gary, Galla- Gary Gallagher is not here. Uh, once again, we're joined by Anthony Carr. Uh, he's a litigating attorney with the uh, with the firm, and we've been specialized. He's been specializing uh, because of his passion in it, in, in elder abuse issues, among others. But one of the things that we've found out that we're not, we don't have to carry the entire heavy load ourselves all the time. And today, when we talked about, when you heard their, uh, the long-term care about everybody, we're talking about now the long-term care of all of us as we age. And most of us age to the point where we're becoming aware, uh, and this is really neat because we've got a great guest today. Uh, 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 Tony, it's, it's interesting to know that this is such a big issue that even our government has realized, gee, we better, have a, we better open a few offices and look, and, and, and look after us as we age. Talked about before the importance of being an advocate uh, for your loved one uh, due to uh, the limited resources our state has uh, to perform certain functions. And I'm really honored here to have John McDermott, uh, the state's long-term care ombudsman, here with us to talk a little bit more about uh, what his office does and uh, and and how it helps protect and our elders. Boy, are we going to get into this in a way that you're going to be able to see, gang, as you listen to the program, one of the many resources it has. But by the same token the importance that is placed on it at the governmental level. So John McDermott, is, uh, uh, he is the long-term care ombudsman. And first of all, we have to find out what the heck an ombudsman is. John, welcome. Aloha. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I always looked at an ombuds, uh, uh, ombudsman as somebody that's looking over the shoulder to make sure things are right. Well, this program has been around since uh, 1975. Mm-hmm. It started out as a demonstration project. And uh, ombudsman is a Swedish word, and we don't have a lot of people in Hawaii that speak Swedish, so they usually don't know what I do. In yeah, fact, exactly. When I, a, oh, I, I have a sore hip. Can you help me? I mean, it sounds like you're, you know, sounds like a professional. Yeah, and once when I first start saying long-term care, they immediately think insurance, and they start shaking their head. No, no, I don't need. I don't need. So they dismiss me very quickly. But ombudsman is really somebody who is working kind of behind the scenes so that you don't get the runaround. Mm -hmm. So that if you have a complaint, uh, this person knows where to go or they'll find out where to go for you. And and actually, I never heard of the word myself until I got the job. And uh, but then I found out that um, National Public Radio has an ombudsman. Mm -hmm. University of Hawaii used to have an ombudsman. Many corporations have ombudsman. Um, but it I basically needs an advocate. A lot of media groups, John, too. I mean, the, the, the star advertisers had one for a long time, a lot of other media groups as well, because somebody's got to set the record right. Right. You know, and, and so I'm, I'm assuming that in many respects, 
uh, when when somebody gets a call from the ombudsman and when they know what the ombudsman is, they get a little nervous because they know they got that somewhere the truth is going to come, out, like rising out of right. the ashes like, like a phoenix. We hope. Well, there, there's a, in our state, um, sometimes people confuse me with Robin Matsunaga. He mm-hmm. is the state ombudsman, mm-hmm. and I'm the state long-term care ombudsman. So my focus is much more limited. So with Robin Matsunaga, if anybody has a complaint about any state agency, including me, um, they would go to Robin Matsunaga, mm-hmm. and he's under the legislature. And my program is spe- specifically for uh, people who are living in licensed long-term care facilities. Okay, now, that really, Tony, is when we were talking the last time, we're going to and into the future, because we're going to have to do many, many programs on this subject, because it's such an all-encompassing, it, it's just this huge, big thing. I'm looking at the difference between the two of you sitting across from me today is John has got an agency that's set up so that things happen the way they're supposed to happen. You have a company that's set up to find out when things are bad, you know, how bad are they? So if John does his job really well, you don't have to specialize in this area anymore. But well, that's not going to happen. Well, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a huge mix of factors, you know, starting with the duties that these facilities have to do things in the right way. But John's office serves a critical function of when that doesn't happen, you know, maybe stopping it from leading to a severe incident down the road or nipping something in the bud so that it stops right there. Yeah, like a fixer. Yeah. I'm here to fix it. But one thing I learned off the air, and I'm shocked, you know, we here in Hawaii, there's a lot of lists that we love being on. Friendliest city, healthiest city. Uh, the ones that we don't want to be on is the most expensive city, the most business unfriendly city. Um, I just found out that that we have a situation here, and John told me when we were getting to know each other off the air a minute ago, that we're the only state in the union that gives uh, somebody that we're going to come inspect advance warning. That here we come. There are a lot of other states, and you can explain this in your area, that they're going to go straight into a care facility and they're going to say, uh, we're here from the Office of the Aging and we're, we're here to do an inspection. No notice. No notice anywhere in the United States except Hawaii. Wow. Yeah. This is something that we have been um, trying to fight for a long time. Mm-hmm. I, I've been the long-term care ombudsman for um, 18 years. I started in 1998. And uh, prior to that, I was the director of social services at Halinani, which is the mm-hmm. largest nursing home in the state, mm-hmm. 288 beds. And uh, for two years before that, same position at Maunalani, which is mm-hmm. the oldest facility. Sure. And nursing homes have unannounced inspections. And I had started at a time when that was relatively new and people were complaining about it. People were not happy about it. But in time, they got used to it and they realized that this is a good thing. You know, we mm-hmm. really should be keeps ready toes, for it. Right. right. Yeah. Keeps everybody on their toes. We should be ready for an inspection at any time. And um, it was supposed to be unpredictable, but when they first started, it was predictable because since it was annual, if my inspection is in April, mm-hmm. I'll be inspected next April. Oh, geez. Right. And yeah, if, so uh, I get the whole month of, of February and March to really fine tune everything so I can right. pass my inspection. Or what they would do is uh, they would they would visit the facilities in the same order every year, mm-hmm. so that if I'm always right. After Island Nursing, Island Nursing gives me a call, and yeah. so I know, okay, better Guess get who's in ready. Town. Yeah, yeah. But when uh, President Bill Clinton was uh, in office, uh, he said that that had to change, and so uh, he mandated that the inspections be one year 
plus or minus six months so that it was not as predictable. And uh, so now with our nursing homes, uh, we all just got used to it and we, we recognize the benefit of that. So when I became the ombudsman, I was kind of shocked to discover that we give notice to the other types of facilities when we're coming. Sure. And, and I know you're never going to find anything wrong if you tell people when you're coming. Well, you know, here we are all going through right now a, a sort of an awareness of this. They kicked in in the restaurants. They kicked in this fail-pass thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like almost ugly in the window because even if they've passed, you, who wants to see this sign in your face all the time? But in actual fact, this has made the playing field pretty level for restaurants. If you're going to get this sticker, you're not going to get this sticker. Now, I don't know about enforcement or how often it's going to be done. But from what I understand is they kind of know what's coming as well. So we're not – it's not like in the private sector, and maybe, uh, Tony, maybe you can address this. There's a lot of companies that say when you get you hire and you sign your employee manual – I understand that I will be randomly tested for drugs. Mm-hmm. If so, I'll lose my job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's no advance. That's today's hey, good morning. Today's your drug day. Exactly, and it's the same concepts. Yeah. You know, we we want to be objective and we want to be transparent, right? Well, at least you know in theory that's true. But what are our priorities as a society? Well, mm-hmm. it's a priority to make sure that our employees are going to do their duties and responsibilities mm-hmm. as expected. It's a uh, priority to make sure that uh, uh, unsafe food is not given to consumers. But it is not a priority, as much as we might want to think it is and talk about it, it's not a significant priority so far to recognize the health and well-being of elderly folks as a priority that we need to actually do something about and dedicate resources to and not just talk about it. Yeah, that's really a great point. And uh, John, you're going to be right in step with that, I know, because... It, it seems like we're we're going to inspect a hamburger before we expect mm-hmm. where Grandpa is. Yeah, you know? I was um, on Kauai one time when I first started, and I was uh, driving up a care home uh, home uh, the driveway, mm-hmm. and the caregiver was in her car. She was backing out, so she stopped her car, wondering, you know, who am I? Mm-hmm. I showed my badge. I explained what I was there for. And uh, I said, are, are you leaving the house right now? And mm-hmm. she said, oh, yeah. I said, oh. Um, so are you still a care home? Oh, yeah, I'm still a care home. Do, do you have residents in your house right now? Oh, yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a substitute caregiver in there? Oh, no, they don't really need that. Mm-hmm. Now, you're not supposed to leave the residents without some kind of a substitute caregiver. So I went into the home with her, mm-hmm. and she had five residents, and they were all kind of intellectually challenged. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the questions that uh, I excuse asked— Excuse me, you mean the dementia issues and that kind of thing? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so I had asked them, well, what would you do in the event of a fire? Ah. And they just kind of looked at one another, and then one said, Run! And so didn't know anything about Mm -hmm. 911, didn't know anything about fire extinguisher, just nobody there. And then the caregiver said to me, um, you know, when I first became a care home operator, I was married and I had uh, medical insurance for me and my children through my husband. And now we're divorced and I don't have that anymore. So I'm working at Wilcox Hospital so that I have that coverage. And ah, so, so she wasn't leaving to go down to the grocery store and grab a bottle of milk. She, she was, was going to be work. gone for eight hours. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And so I told her how, you know, you cannot do that because you're putting these residents at risk. And I, I certainly I understand your situation is very sad, you know. But, um, but still, if you're going to be a care home operator, you have to have a substitute. Now, the, the reason I'm bringing up that story is because 
if she knew the state surveyors were coming for the inspection, she would not be driving to work. She would tell her boss, I need, a good I need the week off, whatever, you know, whatever. Week. I got to clean my house, whatever. And uh, we get families that call me all the time saying, oh, I can't visit my mom because uh, they're expecting the surveyors any day now. And so I was told not to come. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is that uh, that family member is denied the opportunity to voice any concerns that they have with mm-hmm. the surveyors. And and I have questioned, why, why don't the surveyors call up these families? Because everybody has some kind of um, a sheet with the contact name of the family, the sure, phone number. Sure. And so, you know, why are you not being more proactive and calling up the son, the daughter, and saying, okay, we're here, you're not. Do you have anything you want to share with us about this facility? Because it looks real good, but they knew we were coming, mm. so we expect it to look real good. Sure. You know, Tony, there is one thing that I'm concerned about. Well, first of all, I can see what an asset this office is because mm-hmm. when you guys are really going to be looking into something, I know that there are record keeping in there. And if you know that this office is is really driven to keep accurate statistical data, you already have sort of a... I don't want to say a case built up, but you have a file on somebody yes. that might be of use. But but it, it, the same is holds true on the other side of things. Obviously, that if a concerned listener came to your office, mm-hmm. the first thing you'd want to do is then turn to John's office and say, "Hey, we might have some, we might have a, a tsunami here that needs to get dealt." With. Oh, John mm-hmm. and his office are an incredible resource yeah, yeah. for the state for people who have been or could potentially be injured in a long term care setting. And what we're talking about is, you know. John, I'm sure, would agree with me. The, the mm. majority of folks, the majority of caregivers, you know, they have their heart in it. They're in it for the right reasons. But like in any sector, there's mm. going to be the bad apples. Sure. And how do we incentivize these folks who have these precious responsibilities? How do we incentivize them to do what they're supposed to be doing? And so unannounced inspections mm. would be a fantastic tool. But John is the only guy in his office who can help go through it such things. And John can tell you more about how many residents we have in these long-term care facilities and how they're spread out among a thousand-plus facilities yeah, all across the neighbor great. islands. Yeah. But, you know, the thing that I, that I think is really valuable, because in previous shows, John, we have discussed the absolute incredible opportunity, entrepreneurial opportunity there is in this, in this area now. I mean, we have a need for housing, assisted living, and, and other, all kinds of things for our seniors. When you when you got into this, it wasn't that big of a deal. I'm guessing that you've seen a proliferation of people getting into this, quote, care business that maybe back in the day when you first started would have been really perfect, loving caregivers. And now it's entrepreneurial. They want to know how many places can I open and how thin of a staff can I have? That, that's absolutely true. Yeah, it used to be that you had just one caregiver, owned one home, and kind of like adopting a senior like you would adopt a child. You mm-hmm. know? So that person mm-hmm. becomes a part of the family. And uh, maybe to some degree that's still the case on the neighbor islands. Mm-hmm. But on Oahu, it has become kind of much more of a business. It's a business, sure. A and business. so you yeah. do have people who own multiple homes. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, of course, they can charge some of them 10000 a month, you know, which is really incredible. Hey, I got to tell you something. Right along with what you're saying, I, I do a couple of different shows about building and construction. I know one um, boutique construction company whose sole job it is to build these facilities, mm-hmm. for, not just for one owner, for many. Mm-hmm. They, they've got a reputation of building an ADA-required building and having all of the accoutrements and accessories necessary to pass inspection, and they just, they're just as busy as they can be. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, one of the results of this is that our nursing homes have a, have a hard time hiring 
CNAs, certified nurse aides, because so many of them go into business on their own. Sure. And, you know, this is the American dream in the sense of starting your own business. And if you can get $5,000 a month and you're a type one care home, which is five beds or less, mm -hmm. so five times five is $25,000 a, a month. month. That's right. good money. Um, so, you know, why would you want to work at a nursing home where you could have eight, nine, ten people that you have to take mm -hmm. care of. Some of them maybe you don't really like. You have a boss mm -hmm. that's yeah. kind of supervising you. You've got to have a decent car to get into work or you got to take the bus. Um, so it, it sounds initially like, oh, this is a great thing. But what they're forgetting is that you're no longer working one shift. You're working all three shifts, 24-7. Yeah. So you do not get a day off. You, you don't get Saturday and Sunday or the weekends off. You do not get holidays. You do not get yeah. sick leave. And if you want to go on vacation, you're going to have a problem because you're going to have to hire a substitute to take care of these people. And uh, sometimes residents um, in your home can be noisy, need to go to the bathroom. You want to sleep for eight hours like everybody else happen. that night. Yeah, yeah. But if somebody has to be rotated every two hours because of pressure ulcers or um, they just have to go to the bathroom, you can't really ignore that. And you need to have family that are supporting you in doing this because they become also caregivers. So it's a lot more work than people realize. And, uh, um, and because it's, they're in your home. So you never get away from somebody that you yeah. may not particularly like. You know, they're just yeah. always in your you know, face. I, I can tell you, just by listening to what John says, uh, Tony, uh, not only can I see what an asset they are, but how important it is to make sure that people that want to get into this entrepreneurially mm -hmm. will pay attention and find out what am I supposed to do, what are the rules. Mm -hmm. In other words, we talked in previous shows about what are the criteria. There's a list. In order to be certified to be this kind of a facility or that, you got to dot the I's, cross the T's, and, mm -hmm. and do some stuff. But the but the monitoring of it later and the people is what you guys are finding out is lacking. Well, what's what's really scary to us is we get calls all the time, whether it's an incident of injury or concern for the potential for injury, and the overwhelming majority of them are from larger institutional mm -hmm. uh, settings, big assisted living facilities, build skilled, mm -hmm. big skilled nursing facilities where um, they're more likely to be able to access resources and reach out for help. Whereas we get very few calls out of these types of residential homes. And it is not because there's less residents there. We're concerned about their ability to seek out uh, what to do if something happens, yeah, especially exactly. if they have a loved one off island. Uh, John can tell you more about Molokai and their complete lack of senior care settings. Mm -hmm. So, so um, what do you do? I, I tell you, John, this is the thing. By the way, John McDermott is the long-term care ombudsman uh, for the Office of Aging, Executive Office on Aging for the State of Hawaii. And that being said, we hear other stories. Gary and I and, and Anthony and I have talked about you know other you know, surgical problems and malpractice and lack of facilities and stuff on the neighbor islands. Mm -hmm. We're all Ohana, but you know, aren't most of us on the neighbor islands just not prepared to really know what caregiving is and what? It, and and so we look out for it. So we find a nice place on Oahu, we put tutu there, and we forget about it because we think it's all under control. Well, that's actually what happened just recently with Alice Smith. So that was a case that was covered on KHON mm -hmm. Action Line. So I'm not violating any confidence here. And uh, the family, all from Molokai. Uh, Molokai does not have a nursing home when they, they had a nursing home that was part of Queens 
And uh, when I first started 18 years ago, I, I think they had maybe 24 beds, but they slowly... Um, now they got no beds and more than 24 people need them, right? <laughs> Well, so what, well what happened was that yeah. they, they decided to shut down the nursing home, I guess for financial reasons. And uh, so as people died or moved on wherever, they didn't replace them. So then they were down to the last two who were both comatose. Mm -hmm. And when those uh, two passed on, Molokai had nothing. Mm -hmm. So Molokai has has now only two care homes. They each take uh, five, so it's a type one, but they're only taking men. And uh, I think so that's that, 10 people. 10 yeah, people yeah, for yeah. all of Molokai. Yeah. And Molokai is the most Hawaiian, so mm -hmm. the sense of ohana is very, very mm -hmm. powerful there. And Molokai, uh, highest unemployment, you know, so very, very poor. Uh, anybody who flies to the neighbor islands knows the plane ticket to Molokai is more expensive than the others. Yeah. And so for somebody from Molokai who can no longer care for their loved ones and they have to place them on a neighbor island, that mm -hmm. that is such a tragic situation, you know. And so there is growth opportunities there. I was so, going to say, it sounds to me right. like a, a great opportunity. And, you know, and foster what, homes. What's, what's been called the friendly island, it's hard to be friendly when you have all of these troubles. Yeah. And, and I would imagine not just the sense of Ohana that you talk about, because I know I spend a lot of time on that island. And, and of course, those of you that listen to the program knows that Gary Gallagher spends a lot of time on Molokai because <laughs> that's, that's his heaven, right? That's so, his place. So you guys have talked about this. And even on that island, I know that Gary has friends that have seniors in their family that are being cared for at home with a lot of love, mm -hmm. but maybe not experience. Exactly. You know? you know, and that's the balance is there's, uh, you know, you always want someone to stay in the home and with their family as long as of possible. Course, yeah. But just there come situations where you require a certain level, maybe a skilled level of care, where just your 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 dad or your sister or your wife just isn't in a position, is not in a position to help you with that. And what do you do when you're on a neighbor island like Molokai? Mm -hmm. Well, it's, see you later. Come mm -hmm. visit me when you can. And I hope this facility does what they, they're supposed to be doing. The case you mentioned, John. Right. You know, uh, that, you know I, saw, I saw that on Action Line, too. Um, is that like a precedent setter so that you can really so that we can gain something from that? Well, that that case is you know one of the most um, outrageous I've ever heard of because, um, and and I only know what I saw you know on the news like everybody else and, and I have talked to the family, but it appears that uh, um, CCOH, which used to be called Convalescent Center of Honolulu, now it's Care Center of Honolulu, but that's where she was living. And they didn't seem to have any kind of a policy for signing people in or out. So they don't know um, who took her out. They don't know the transporter company, which means that they can't call anybody yeah. to hold them accountable. Um, dialysis didn't seem to have any system either for signing people in or out. So all of a sudden, this lady is missing. Family doesn't get a phone call until midnight. Mm -hmm. uh, security guard at Mayor Wright Housing finds this woman on the sidewalk. Uh, this is way past her time to eat mm -hmm. and time to go to bed. She's she's uh, you know on dialysis and um, cold night and homeless people there. I mean, mm -hmm. it could be very yeah, dangerous. Yeah. And uh, and nobody wants to own up to doing something wrong, you know. Mm -hmm. So not our fault, not our fault. Pass the buck. And so, you know, you have families who maybe have restraining orders mm -hmm. against a relative. Well, are you telling me it's that easy for somebody to come in and take somebody out of the building and now we never see them again? We, we have no idea where they are. Yeah. And uh, Dialysis says that they kind of um, parked her by the, the door 
and then they like forgot about her, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And now she, somebody's trying to say that she somehow wandered on her own to Mayor Wright about a mile away. I was going to say, isn't that and, kind of a little bit skeptical? Well, and the family shady? is saying that yeah. she actually is not capable of doing that, mm-hmm. you know, that she's in the wheelchair and, and she doesn't know because of her dementia mm-hmm. how to actually move that chair. So this should have never happened and everybody should be apologizing. Yeah. And it sounds like instead everybody's saying, oh, it wasn't my fault, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, that's why I, I guess, Anthony, why you became so interested in this because... It seems like such a glaringly obvious area that we should all be concerned about. And most of us will make a decision based on a fancy building mm-hmm. or, or a slick ad or somebody's cousin saying, my mom was there before she passed away and it was great. Mm-hmm. Maybe, and, and this is where John can come in because we talked about this on the last show. When these places open, if you build it, they will come. There's going to be people that are going to stay there. Mm-hmm. And their intentions are good. Their people are good. Then they have attrition and pretty soon they got somebody lesser in there doing something for money or for whatever. So you could have a really great experience and then you pass it along to a friend or a relative and when their loved one gets in that building, that building is not the same as it used to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Isn't that the concern? Isn't that where, why these inspections that shouldn't be uh, announced, they should be random and they should be enforced? They, they should definitely be um, uh, unannounced because we have so many people who are working two full-time jobs. It's mm-hmm. very expensive to live in Hawaii. And, All three of us uh, in this room are doing that, I'm yeah. sure. You know? and, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I think Filipinos are probably the hardest working people I know because they mm-hmm. seem to all have two jobs. Mm-hmm. But, okay, so when you're doing your second job, who is watching these residents? Because you're getting paid to do that. And right. so that substitute caregiver is a very critical person. And, and one of the terrible things that uh, happened under Governor Abercrombie was that uh, a foster home is a community care family foster home is a mini nursing home. Mm -hmm. It's no more than three beds. Uh, One of them can be private paid. The other have to be, the other two have to be Medicaid. But these are people who should be in a nursing home, which means that they're either skilled nursing or they're intermediate care nursing. And I can explain that, you know, in a minute. But if they don't want to be there, if they want to be out in the community, that's their choice. And so they go to a community care family foster home and the caregiver is a certified nurse aide. Mm-hmm. Now, had they stayed, CSA, that's what we've CNA. Talked about. Now, had they stayed in the nursing home, they mm-hmm. would have had a registered nurse twenty four seven. But they only have a certified nurse aide. Okay, um, under our legislature, um, um, Representative Mizuno, uh, Senator Espero. they introduced a bill that passed that the governor signed that said that the substitute does not have to be a CNA. Mm-hmm. The substitute can only be an NA, uh, a nurse assistant. I think NA means not applicable. Yeah, because this is this yeah. is somebody who should be in a nursing home in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody is not certified, why are they not certified? Why could they not pass the certification? It's not really that complicated. Mm-hmm. Is, is it a language barrier? Is it that they, they've taken the test multiple times and they keep failing? Is, is this the person who should really be caring for somebody who should be in a nursing home? So the uh, Filipino Chamber of Commerce, they testified that that bill was their priority bill for the year. And their testimony was that, oh, well, if you hire um, a CNA, it's $10 an hour, Mm -hmm. but if you hire an NA, it's just $7 an hour. So the whole focus was on money. It was not on what's best for the residents. And and the only reason that I, I was able to stomach that bill was because it had a sunset clause. It was supposed to die in two years. But then the following year, the legislature very sneakily 
undid the sunset. Oh, boy. In a bill that was not even related to that. So it got mm-hmm. very, almost no publicity at all. You know, you just had to accidentally find it. And, and, and this, is, this is the most frustrating part about our legislature, mm-hmm. you know, that there are just so many things that are not done up front, you know, it, yeah. behind closed doors. Yeah, unfortunately uh, for many, it's created a, a, a situation where, I guess, uh, Anthony, it, sometimes it's a long time coming before family really are able to determine that something's wrong with dad's care home or mom's care home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and, and I see you nodding when John's talking because some of the very things that he's talking about that are allowed to fester and get worse, it, it, we're talking about if, if we're looking at a $15 a minimum wage coming up mm-hmm. all, that's being promised to us by some of these guys running for office, how in the world are these places going to make it? We're not concerned with they're going to make it or not, right? Yeah. Well, here, you know, I'd rather pay more money knowing that I was getting the right care. It's exactly. not about the money. Well, here, you know, this is my concern with what John's talking about is, you know, our representatives are supposed to be acting on our behalf, mm-hmm. you know, consistent with our priorities. Mm-hmm. And so, what is it then? I mean, there can be no good reason why we wouldn't do these unannounced inspections other than possible tax burden, right? Yeah. What is this going to add to our budget? But when you consider, the other side of it, which is, well, if we don't spend this money, mm-hmm. that also costs society significant costs sure. as well. You know, folks will get to a nursing home standard of care quicker because they're not being cared for properly. And that's coming out of Medicaid. That's coming yeah. out of different sources. You're still paying for that just in a different way. Yeah. And that the thing, John, is that those that would talk about it being a financial burden, these inspectors are inspecting anyway. It's not going to change their life one bit, is it? It would save money. Yeah. It would actually <laughs> yeah. save money. And the reason for that is... Um, you know, way back when, uh, when, when Maisie Hirono and Linda Lingle were running for governor, mm-hmm. uh, the need for unannounced inspections was something that AARP was also strongly pushing for. Mm-hmm. And there were a number of forums that were held, and I attended as many as I could. And when people would talk about the need for unannounced inspections, unfortunately, um, at that time, Lieutenant Governor uh, Hirono said that she supported the status quo, mm-hmm. which really kind of surprised me because I thought she... She clearly doesn't understand what's going on. Um, um, I guess Mayor uh, Lingle at the time, uh, she had just become, she mm-hmm. had just left as mayor. Yeah, she had said that she would support unannounced inspections. Now, when she got elected, she actually did not do that, mm-hmm. but she she did a compromise. And so instead of the state survey uh, inspectors doing a once a year announced annual inspection, they would do a once a year announced annual inspection, and a once-a-year unannounced visit. Mm-hmm. So they doubled the workload of the state right. surveyors, right. The but they the never doubled survey. the staffing. That's okay. really interesting. You yeah. know, and let me tell you something else. Uh, and I think that there are many people out there listening that are have thought or contemplated or looking at investment and maybe being in a hui that's going to do these buildings. We, uh, Tony, you and I have talked about it before. I must tell you, both parents, both uh, both of my parents, um, were in facilities at the end of their lives. Mm-hmm. Both of them were passed uh, as, as a result of, uh, of Alzheimer's. Um, our family was spending an awful lot of money. Uh, thank goodness both my parents had well cared for businesses, and so the, it wasn't a tremendous big burden on us kids, but it still was a burden. But the point I was trying to make is that at the end, uh, John, we thought about, look, why don't we, since we've gone through this for all these years, why don't we find some operators and why don't we do this instead of selling dad's home or mom's home? Why don't we convert it into a facility and, and help? Boy, there were so many, you know, if I were a operator of that, what you're 
talking about here today, I would be proud to have unannounced inspections because I don't want to be able to prove that anybody that looked come in and see what we're doing because we're doing the right thing because we, we're, we're morally obligated right. to do it. But that's not what we're getting. Well, actually, um, when I talk to, because I, I, I'm allowed to go in unannounced because of federal law. Mm-hmm. So I, I never tell them when I'm coming. I go in unannounced. And I we see should do a, a ride around with them, I told you. We should go. <laughs> yeah. ride well, around but I think what you would be surprised mm-hmm. is that we have a lot of really excellent homes. Sure. And a lot of these caregivers will tell me that they have no problem with an unannounced inspection. But, but the leadership... Mm-hmm. is the one with with their legislative friends who have fought this and you do not want to be blackballed by the community you know mm-hmm. so you are going to keep your mouth shut and you are going to let your leadership speak for you whether you agree with it or not and and um you know i mean anytime unannounced inspections is heard at the legislature and it's very hard to get it heard at all the room is packed with care home operators, mm-hmm. absolutely packed. And I'm always wondering... In, in opposition. In opposition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm always wondering, okay, who's watching the residents while <laughs> they're right. all yeah, yeah. out here? Is there anybody you know? there? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and we have very few people on our side. And the reason is because, you know, I'm trying to represent the frailest, most vulnerable seniors that we have. Mm-hmm. They cannot come to the Capitol to testify. You know, they do not have the ability to send letters, to make phone calls. They cannot do that. And out of sight, out of mind, they're forgotten, you know. And so, I mean, our legislature and, and maybe our community talks a good line about, you know, re- respecting our kapuna, but we could do a, an awful lot more to protect this population. Yeah, and, and it's it's created, I want to say, an un, you know, an unfortunate opportunity for Gallagher. Uh, and as you know, there's a big differentiation between the Gallagher Foundation and the Gallagher Law Office. The law office is the one that you go to, you have a problem, they litigate on your behalf. But the benefits of it, uh, Anthony, we've talked about long uh, this a lot. Gary also has a mission. He doesn't want to pursue these kind of cases. I mean, but, there, but somebody has to, so he's doing it. But in, within mind is how fast can we use this as a precedent, mm-hmm. get it into law, get it into a rule, and eliminate the opportunity for it to happen again. Well, exactly, and that's why I first reached out to John in the first yeah. place is we were getting a lot of intakes, a lot of phone calls for folks who – we couldn't represent because you know maybe they didn't even have an injury or whatever the reason was. Yeah. But I didn't want to just send them a letter saying, sorry, we can't help you call the legal yeah. aid fund. And so I reached out to John and I said, geez, we're getting all these complaints where they're not rising to the level of us being able to represent them, mm-hmm. but yet, you know, yet. Yeah. And so what can yeah. we do to stop yet. that same yeah. person from calling me three months later yeah. and saying, geez, now I got a stage four pressure ulcer and you know, it's exposing bone. Well, well let's, our, let's our also, program mm-hmm. does a lot of work with um, Jim Peach at the University of Hawaii Elder Law Program. We've done presentations with the um, um, Hawaii Bar Association because they have an elder law, law division. So, you know, I, I, I don't want to be I don't want the audience to think I'm part of a commercial for Gallagher. You yeah, know, no, because no, 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 no. I talk and, to all lawyers, we, we try to be very clear you know, anybody that, yeah. who who yeah. who uh, I can help. I'm happy to do that. Um, and so I, I, I'm kind of glad that people are finally calling up because I know with my own family, my mom was in a nursing home. This was back in New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, on a Sunday night, uh, she and other residents were in the day room watching um, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Audrey Hepburn. And about 8 p.m., she was falling asleep, and the um, uh, director of social services told the certified nurse aide, oh, put Mrs. McDermott to bed because she's um, falling asleep. 8 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. 10 o'clock at night, 
two hours later, my twin sister, Jean, gets a phone call saying, oh, your mom um, has some bruises. We're not quite sure what caused them. Uh, we're investigating. We'll get back to you. Wait, Didn't, this is the nighttime this phone call? Phone, right. Oh, oh. This was the nighttime, yeah. and this was um, uh, February uh, 2012. And uh, so that was about 10 o'clock at night. Then 5.15, another phone call in the morning. Oh, we're sending your mom to the hospital. Uh, her blood pressure is really low. Uh, you might want to meet her there. 15 minutes later, oh, we're sorry. Your mom is dead. Oh my now, my oh sister my lives less than a mile away. Mm -hmm. She and her husband jumped in the car. They found my mom uh, on a gurney. She was black and blue, like she had been beaten up. Mm -hmm. um, my sister Jean, what is this all about? Oh, we don't know. We're investigating. Uh, the mortician told my family, you know, um, you might want to have an autopsy done because it looks a little suspicious and it looks like she has some some indentations in her, on her wrist that she was tied Somehow to the... Yeah, she was restrained. And um, the autopsy showed she had died of a blunt force to the head. And um, she was supposed to be on Coumadin, which is a blood thinner. The toxology report showed no Coumadin. We were really upset. I, of course, wanted to talk to an attorney. Of course. I wanted to report this to the Department of Health. My five sisters overruled me and mm. said, John, you know, it's done. She's gone. Mm. We want to move on. It's just too painful to be reliving this. And this is what a lot of families in Hawaii experience. You know, I was the contact person in my family. My family is now blaming me. Mm. Why didn't you visit her more often? Why didn't you notice the signs of abuse? Why didn't you move her to another home? You know, so I, I just want to move on. Mm -hmm. It's not going to bring her back. And this is the attitude, and I understand it because my own family went through <laughs> it. it yeah. But this is why we never fix anything. You know, yeah. nothing gets better. You know, that's why I'm, once again, and, and I want to make sure that not, nobody in the audience thought that we were using the Office of uh, uh, Aging by the city as, as, a, as a, you know, uh, a political arm of, of of the Gallagher law firm, but it just goes to show you. And we've we try to talk about this, and here comes a, an example mm -hmm. of the atrocity. I mean, you know, there there was something really wrong here, mm -hmm. and 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 I know that when you there, there's people out there that are going through this. So I want to once again, even though if if you're getting your place inspected and random or whatever and that means that you you're doing all the things there's still things that happen mm -hmm. and there's still things that people have to be able to notice what john was talking about before was this lady that was maybe uh sleeping through the night because she had a patient or one of the people there need to be turned over two hours she's not getting turned over yeah. so when a family what does a family notice to say something's got to be done here so we got to look at this well you know there's there's plenty of warning signs mm -hmm. um and the, the the first key is to be involved to to be able to be in the position to even notice it mm -hmm. right and to not be afraid to ask questions you're not prying you're 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 doing your duty to make sure that that individual your loved one is being cared yeah. for properly and what we're what we're both trying to accomplish from just slightly different angles john and i is mm -hmm. you know when when someone when you suffer an incident right don't keep it uh don't keep it private right we urge you there's no such thing as an isolated incident in these circumstances right it's not just your mom it could be indicative of a pattern of practice of certain substandard care or something that's not right going on and so john's office can help you in certain ways um different ways than our office can and mm -hmm. what we're trying to accomplish is the same thing we're trying to prevent f those incidents from happening in the first place 
But when an incident happens, you've got to address it to identify what are the causative features, what went wrong here that we can identify and do something about. Yeah, and that, that goes to a point, John, where the office, your office is not there to just you know inspect people. As a matter of fact, you have materials that people can get a hold of, and I think it's a great idea if those of you that are listening, even if you don't have somebody in a care home right now or you're not having love them that needs attention you will because i mean that's the way we all are you have some great materials one is one of which is a, a little pamphlet that i have here it's one of those take one in the fold over cards that you normally see in a, in a magazine rack mm-hmm. right and it really spells out uh the way people are and long before people look for a, a care facility shouldn't they go through this and say okay here's what the state's telling me to keep an eye out for here's what my rights are here's what mm-hmm. i could expect now let's go about this proactively and make a good decision based on a, a triage of where we're going to put mom or dad. Right. So um, let's talk a little bit about how you decide which facility is appropriate for you. Mm-hmm. So that's based on your level of care. Right. And that's what your doctor will determine. So um, I'm a senior. I'm getting off of the bus. My depth perception is not so good. I didn't really understand how far that last step is. I fell out of the bus. I break my hip. I'm at the hospital. I'm acute care. Mm-hmm. Acute care. Hospitals don't want to keep you longer than they have to. It's very expensive. Got to turn the beds. So got to yeah. turn the beds. Yeah. There's somebody who is, is also falling out of the yeah, bus. Yeah, yeah. And so they now move you to another facility. So the next level of care is called skilled nursing. And that's something that's usually done by a registered nurse. So that can be tube feedings. That can be insulin injections. That can be IV antibiotics. That can be wound dressing changes. If you're not being cared for by a registered nurse, but you're, you're getting a therapy, Therapy, physical therapy, occupational speech, those are all done by licensed professionals. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it skilled nursing. Mm-hmm. I continue making progress. My next level of care is called intermediate care. So instead of a registered nurse, I use a certified nurse aide, a CNA. So I need help with bathing. I need help with mm-hmm. toileting. I need help with grooming. We're not going to use an expensive registered nurse to take you to the bathroom. A CNA can do that. Gotcha. You continue making progress. You become custodial care level. This is when you go to a care home. Custodial care means I can feed myself, but I cannot prepare the meal. I cannot do the food shopping. I can dress myself. I cannot do the laundry. So I'm more independent than somebody in a nursing home, but not independent enough to live by myself. So your level of care determines where you're going to go. And and your level of care also determines how it's going to be paid for. Because uh-huh. if you want Medicare to mm-hmm. pay your bill, you know, everybody thinks that, oh, I've worked all these years and I've been putting all this money into the Medicare system. And so now I get 100 days of Medicare. You know, I'm so lucky. Well, you only get Medicare if, first of all, you've at least had three days acute care in the hospital. So if you've only had two days and your doctor wants to discharge you, uh, which is what happened with my mom. Mm-hmm. You know, we had to whisper, you know, mom, you need to pee in the bed. You need to become <laughs> incontinent for a day. Here, yeah. You know, just do something to get that extra day, okay? And I shouldn't be saying this, and, I, and uh, I'm delusional right now, so pay no attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, we got that third day because that's the only way you get the Medicare benefits. Mm-hmm. And then when you come out and you go to a nursing home, you have to be skilled nursing. Yeah. And most people are not skilled nursing for the whole 100 days. So... The the good news is you improved, you're no longer mm-hmm. skilled. The bad news is Medicare won't pay for you anymore, so now you have to pay out of pocket. 
So when your level of care changes and you're no longer skilled, then you either pay out of pocket or if you have no money in that pocket, you apply for Medicaid, which is welfare, and that's how you pay for it. So, so the level of care is a very important yeah. distinction. Yeah, way, way deeper than most of you that are out there listening thought before John got off on this. Mm-hmm. Just as a reminder, John McDermott is the long-term care ombudsman for the state's executive office on aging. Uh, not connected to the Gallagher law firm, but certainly a, an arm's-length buddy. And, and I think that what happens is uh, that, and maybe, Anthony, you could address this for a minute. Right now, we, there's this over-proliferation of advertising mm-hmm. on these facilities, and they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. They're on TV every night. They're in the, fold over in the newspapers, 10 grand a pop. We know how expensive it is to do that. Uh, I think that a lot of people spend more time looking at that and what they have for lunch there mm-hmm. when they had the free lunch. They sign the thing and they walk away thinking, thank goodness mom is covered. There's a lot to learn here, isn't there? No, exactly. We, we've talked about this a little bit before. And when you place a loved one um, into a certain uh, you know, care home, that, that journey is just beginning. Right? I should say, you know what? I'm glad you said that because it's not the last step. It's the first step. It, it is you in know, a lot of ways. You know, most you, people feel really good. Yeah. Okay, that's where mom's going to be. We have 10000 a month, no problem. Mm-hmm. You know? And you yeah. think, and, and, and it's especially true because sometimes your options, especially if you're on Medicaid, might mm-hmm. be severely limited. Mm-hmm. So there might not be a lot of due diligence to do yeah. because you might not have much of a choice. It might just be, thank goodness this place is willing to take money. Exactly. But yeah. that is not the end. There are no assumptions to make, mm-hmm. right? So we're not asking you to you know, second guess mm-hmm. every single decision that's going on, but be involved. Be a participant, a daily participant in what's going on in that person's life. How have you seen, John McDermott, the, the exponential growth of need in your office? I mean, you know, we're aging out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. we, medicine's keeping us alive a lot longer, but we don't have enough money to stay alive. So, I mean, we, we got this, this deal. Aren't, don't a lot of people beat a path to your door to find out, okay, what's the minimum place I, I can put my mom into? I mean, we can't afford a lot. What, what's going to just keep her okay? Yeah, we actually do get a lot of phone calls because our population in Hawaii is rapidly aging. Mm-hmm. Uh, people in Hawaii live longer than the mainland, uh, generally are healthier than the mainland. Um, I mean, one of the things that we all complain about is the high cost of living here, real estate, because we're an island state. Um, uh, but the blessing is that uh, we, we have more homes with two and three generations under one roof than anywhere sure. else. And that means that there's somebody in the family who is available to take care of grandma, grandpa. And so uh, we don't put people in facilities unless it's absolutely necessary Mm -hmm. on the mainland it's kind of like okay mom you're 65 time to go to the nursing home you know that kind of thing but you know john i got a concern about that because well that may be true we're learning of a lot of cases tony and i've talked about him i've had the meeting talking to him with with gary and with others in the past and that is a lot of times families aren't really prepared to do the things that they're got to do and it's very hard for somebody to take mom to the bathroom or or some of the things that Really, right. really, you find difficult. So you want to get a little help in, but maybe you're not getting the right help. Well, there is help through the uh, Aging and Disability Resource Center. So um, every county has an office on aging, and uh, they all have an Aging and Disability Resource Center. And so you make that phone call, and they do an assessment, and they can plug you into um, supportive services. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about things like Meals on Wheels. We're talking about um, transportation services to the doctor. Mm -hmm. We're talking about bathing services, uh, chore services, uh, respite care for weekends, or if you're going on a trip, you need to put somebody uh, in a facility for a week or so, adult daycare programs, uh, case management. And those are kind of sliding fee. 
So there is not a, a set cost to that. Mm-hmm. Our legislature has been very generous over many years in uh, paying for Kapuni care services. And so a lot of people don't really avail themselves of that um, that service. So so there is help. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also our, our city and county in Honolulu, I'm sure on the neighbor islands, we have so many programs for the elderly. We have water aerobics classes. We have dance classes. So our seniors are very, very active here. We have yeah, beautiful we weather parks, all year we round. Tai Chi, we can yeah. stuff. You know, so yeah. families, there's a lot that families can do. And when they need help, there is help. But at some point, somebody needs more help than mm-hmm. is available, and that's when you start talking about placement issues. Okay, let's talk about the takeaway of the day. This is what I'd like to make sure that people lean to. First of all, uh, local people sometimes are reticent to complain because they don't want to make waves. They, you know, they, Absolutely. You know, yeah. the, but, the nail but, that but, stands up gets hammered down. But, but at the risk, even though we explained that there's no financial connection between the Office of Aging for the State and, and, Galler, and the Gallagher firm, right. and at the expense of maybe losing a client or two or potential client or two, let's talk about how what we originally said, how can people get behind their lawmaker, their legislator, their senator, their rep and say, look, I was listening to this program and I was listening to the Ombudsman on Aging. I was listening to the folks from Gallagher Law. I want to make sure that where my mom is, where my dad might be, gets inspected unannounced mm-hmm. so that I can really find out what's going in and make sure that this facility passes to muster what, this, what I'm paying for and what, I, what my loved one deserves. Well, um, I mean, the biggest thing that people could do is contact and this is an election year. Mm-hmm. This is when the whole house this is, turning is when over, legislators yeah, yeah. all of a sudden really pay attention yeah. to us, you know, because mm-hmm. we Every have the power matters. to yeah. throw the bums out, you know, mm-hmm. if, if that's what's necessary. Mm-hmm. And so people should be really calling up their legislators and saying, look, you know, this this is a no brainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been fighting for this for how many years now? We have to have unannounced annual inspections of all of our long-term care facilities, and those inspections must be online. The Department of Health was already supposed to be doing that. They've been dragging their feet. They, they have it up, but, but go to the Department of Health website mm-hmm. and take a look at what they've posted, and many of them are so heavily redacted, you, you would think that we're selling Russian nuclear secrets. Yeah, you know? I mean, so the, you, you yeah. can't see anything. It's all black. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we need to get serious about that. And so everybody needs to put pressure on their legislators, but in particular, the governor, because the governor is in charge of all the departments, including the Department of Health. And if Governor Ige were to say, do it, mm-hmm. it would happen. And uh, he, he did say do it in terms of uh, putting the inspections online, but I don't think he's quite aware of what they did because it's not actually what we wanted. It's 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 uh, it's too redacted. Um, there's no reason why you should be protecting the name of the caregiver mm. or the case manager if they did something wrong. Sure. And this whole model falls apart if the case manager is not really a strong advocate. Because in particular with the foster homes and with the expanded care homes, these are folks who really should be in a nursing home. They're out in the community, they're only gonna be checked by the department once a year and it's with notice. So it's it's beholden on the case manager to make sure that these people are getting good care. and. So they go to the legislature and they say, oh, it's our license on the line. Well, that's never been the case. Yeah, they have never lost been. their license. Yeah. And so we need to hold the case managers accountable as well as the caregivers when things go wrong because that's what they're paid to do. And if they're not going to do their job, then this model falls apart and we need to come up with something else. Yeah, and that's a great point. And, and that's why before we end up today, uh, 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 Anthony Carr, I'm going to make sure that people understand um, 
you can have as many rules and regulations as you need. Mm-hmm. And this is a great step in the right direction. This, these unannounced inspections are a great step in the right direction. But the real threat to the system is when attorney firms like yours and others mm-hmm. that will get out and litigate and win mm-hmm. on behalf of somebody that is likely to, to eliminate that particular malady. In other words, the word will get around the community really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, mention really quickly just so that John can get in on it. You re- recently had a, a very successful, uh, you know, uh, a trial against a, a, a equipment manufacturer mm-hmm. for something that was hurting people. This is something that shouldn't be in these care facilities, right? So when they get inspected, if they see one of these heebie-jeebies that they're not supposed to have, they're going to get dinged. Yeah, you know, we, we're talking about, as John said, a very frail, vulnerable, dependent population, yeah. right? And so we have to be especially careful with certain things. Um, and for example, what you just touched mm-hmm. upon are adult portable bed rails. And, you know, like most folks, you know, I didn't know much about Ooh, these. Yeah. I just yeah. assumed, hey, $80, it helps people get in and out of bed. Jeez, what a great product. Yeah. But it turns out that more often than not, when you buy one of these and introduce it into the bed of um, someone who's so vulnerable, that you're actually introducing a new and greater risk of injury than had ever existed before. Mm-hmm. That minor benefit of convenience, uh, which has many al- alternative ways to satisfy that same benefit, uh, comes with it significant strings attached that can cause severe injury, death. The CPSC and the FDA track bed rail safety very closely, yeah. um, and it's because they've been forced to because there's been hundreds of deaths caused by uh, entrapment. Okay, uh, I'm gonna. I was gonna make it easy for you to follow up on how to get in touch with John's office, but you have to be a computer programmer to understand the uh, the website. <laughs> but but if you did go to the to the state website Hawaii.gov, you can search. You know, you can search long term care. Uh, the the executive office on aging. How has well, technology? The, the phone number is easy. Yeah, the phone number is easy. Five eight six seven two six eight is my direct line. Okay, once again. Five eight six seven two six eight. And of course, you can get that from us at Gallagher, or you can get it from me at, at the radio station. I think maybe just knowing that the door is open is important. And I don't think that before today, some of our listeners knew exactly how involved your office was, not just on what its mission is, but what it what what its teeth are, what the enforcement of of being lax or not being in compliance could mean. Yeah, again, I, I have to blame that Swedish word, you know, yeah. because uh, <laughs> Nobody knows, yeah. I do, uh, twice a year, I do um, uh, pre-retiree seminars for the state. And it's always amazing to me that, you know, these are fellow state workers sure. and they come up to me saying, I, I never knew about your program or what mm-hmm. you do. And, uh, and I'm one of the speakers with Social Security and deferred compensation. And so initially people are wondering, well, why is that program part of this kind of a conversation. Mm-hmm. But the reason that um, uh, Patty McDonald um, from DHERT had decided to include me and, and um, Carol Maeda is that when you retire, uh, you think, oh, I'm going to spend my time in Vegas, right. I'm going to visit the grandkids, yeah. 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 and all of a sudden your spouse has a stroke, and now you're a full-time caregiver, mm-hmm. or you had the stroke, and you're clueless. What What do I do? I, this is not something that I prepared for. And so your life can change so quickly. This is what happened with my family, mm-hmm. because when my mom got sick, she was my dad's caregiver. So, you know, so it happens to everybody. And what I can see is that we, we need to get old John back here in the saddle again, right? Because we're just, we're just scraping the top off this iceberg. This is a huge, huge deal. So first of all, John McDermott, the long-term care ombudsman for the state's Executive Office on Aging. Thank you so much for giving Mahalo us your for time today. You. Thank you, John. And, and Thank Anthony, you. I, I know that we've got in in future programs more um, more assets to discuss, more more ways that people can find out. First of all, 
long before they need to call an attorney, mm-hmm. what should I expect? You know, what what's out there for me? That's my goal is, you know, there's a lot of movers and sh- shakers, a lot of folks who are doing some incredible stuff um, to help look after our elders. And um, my goal is, you know, whether it be in a year or however long it is that we stop talking about that successful case that we had at yep. trial and we start talking about all these changes that have happened and all these great people who are doing all these great things. Um, you know, let's stop these incidents from happening in the first place so that we don't have to specialize in elder abuse cases. Let's make there not be a such thing as elder abuse litigation. And let's works for me. Thanks for being here, everybody. Gallagherlaw.com. G-A-L-I-H-E-R law.com. We'll see you next time on the Gallagher Law Hour. Well, that's our program for today. And we certainly hope you'll come back next week for our next episode. In the meanwhile, to learn more about Team Gallagher, log on to GallagherLaw.com. That's G-A-L-I-H-E-R-Law.com.